Nice. I like it. So, um, it, the quality is really good so far. Sweet. And I'm using pretty bad headphones, and so any lack of quality that I'm hearing, I am knocking up to poor headphones. Okay. So I would say that that's pretty good. Successful first run via Skype. Cool. But, so, I'm still curious why you have not seen... Infinity War yet? Um, Infinity War. My, uh, I was planning on seeing it, and then I had a few instances where people would invite me, but I either had to work or had something else going on. And then my um, kids, being the youth group that I'm over, mm-hmm. they all spoiled it for me. And so... Um, then I really didn't have any desire to go watch it because I knew everything that pretty much happened. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So I, I didn't, basically, the long long story short is I didn't seek out the opportunity to watch it um, because I'd already knew what happens and an opportunity didn't come to me. So here I am. Okay. Well, I am going to look up when it comes out real quick. Okay. That way I can watch it with you. Because I want, I want you to see it. I think you should have the opportunity to see it, even if it was already ruined. Yeah, I, de- I definitely do want to watch it. Um, I just, like I said, I hadn't had the opportunity to do so. It says it's set for August at some point. I'm still trying to figure out where or when exactly. Oh, it doesn't say specifically. Oh, it's available today. Oh, that's awesome. On digital platforms and will release. Um, so you could get it probably on like the xbox run it on the xbox starting today and then august 14th is the big day for dvd and blu-ray physical copy stuff Hmm. or i could probably do it on itunes and watch it on my phone you could do that it is officially released on itunes nice i can do it i can watch it while i'm at work so yeah that's an option so, on the topic of, you know, the second best superhero movie of the summer, you know, because Incredibles 2 is obviously the first best oh, superhero absolutely. movie. What? So, did you get the chance to watch that one yet? Yes. Okay, what did you think of it? I loved it. Was it better than the first one? Um, I don't know if I would say it's better than the first one. Um, I definitely... The reason why I would say it's not better than the first one, this is spoiler alerts for anyone who hasn't seen Incredibles 2. The reason I would say it's not better than the first one is because it follows pretty much the same plot line as the first one. Yeah. It's just with with Elastigirl rather than um, Mr. Incredible. Right, and that's that's one of the negative things. It's kind of like the whole uh, Force Awakens issue all over again. You just yeah. copied the same movie with different characters, right. kind of. And so I can see that complaint. I really wish they would have gone a little different and a little less predictable, 
because I feel like I had the whole movie predicted uh, after we saw, uh, you know, maybe 15 minutes into the movie. We knew who the bad guy was. It was a little bit predictable. But at the same time, I still would, I would put it on par with the first movie. I wouldn't say it's any worse. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say it's better. Um, that might be that might just be my nostalgia for the first movie, though. Saying I refuse to say that the second movie is better than the first one. Right, right. But I would I would put them at the same number rating at a good. Um, as far as you know, the Disney movies that we've been getting recently, I would say it's an easy eight and a half out of ten for both okay. of those. The original one just is that sentimental value, though. It's an easy nine for me. But right. I think that's me being biased towards my sentimentality. So it gets a negative, uh, negative 0.5 modifier, putting them both at about 8.5. Okay. Um, I would say if I had to rank it and my thought process on ranking, it would be that I would put the first movie at about an 8 out of 10 as well. And then this one probably at a 7. Okay. Um, Mainly because I feel like the first one is better in the sense that it introduced us to all of this and it did it very, very well. And it introduced us to this universe, the story, these, these people, this family. Yeah. And it did it really well. Um, and if you're going to make a second one, in my opinion at least, I feel like you need to ramp that up way more yeah. if you're going to make a second one that's as good as the first one. And they didn't really do that so much, um, other than the political pot plot line of you know people not liking supers and, and that kind of thing, and then then them coming back. Yeah, there I wasn't can see that. really there wasn't really any ramp up or introduction to um, really anything new in the universe. And while it was very entertaining to watch. I don't feel like it was it, the plot line. At least was um, as good. That's fair. That's a fair statement. So going off of big movies this summer, I know that you told me about the Ready Player One book and how you said you really enjoyed the book. Yes. Uh, have you got a chance to see that movie yet? I have not. What? I so I've actually. Um, so I know for these things, the responsible thing to do is to watch it and then make um, determinations for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I've heard from so many people that have watched the movie that it wasn't on par with the book. And so um, since I've heard that from them, I, I haven't been interested in watching the movie. I would watch it given the opportunity, but that was like something even less than Infinity War that I was interested in oh watching. Oh my gosh, that's insane. So I would put this like my favorite movie of all time is like a three-way tie between Big Hero 6, Inception, and Ender's Game. Okay. And Ready Player One is fighting. Uh, it's already in second place and it's fighting to make it a four-way tie for first place. I thought it was extremely well done. The graphics were great. The storyline was amazing. 
I really, really loved it. And um, so Chucky actually read the book after he watched the movie because he loved the movie. Right. Then he read the book and told me that he still thinks it's one of his favorite movies, top ten easy, without having to think about it, easy top ten. But the book is probably the best piece of fictional work that he's ever read. And he says, yeah. while the book and the movie are different, because they are very different, they still did a really good job with the movie. Okay. Um, Chucky, which is a friend of ours, by the way. Um, so he liked the the book like as the best fictional book they've ever read. Yeah. He said it's his number one favorite book. You know, Save the Bible. Piece of best piece of fiction he's ever read. Piece of fiction. Does he not read a lot of fiction? Like I don't. I don't mean that like, uh, like extremely negatively. But I'm just curious. I am not sure. I know he reads a lot more. You know, uh, ministry themed books. Right, and right. being that we don't read much fiction for school, I'm not sure what his new online stuff has him read. But I'm sure that. I know that he doesn't read a whole lot for fun, but okay. when he does, you know, I know he's read uh, some of the Hunger Games stuff and a few others, but uh, I'm I'm not, you know, fluent in what Chucky has or has not read. Okay, well, I mean, I can give you a review of the book if you would like that. I can't give you a review of the movie. Okay, so go um, ahead and give us that review. Okay, so the book, while I thought it was very well done and very well thought out. I don't think that it was like the best fictional work that I've read. Um, mainly because it seems, it seems too teenager esque. Like, um, you know, the, the guy gets the girl at the end of the movie and like, and the, and the way that it's done is very kind of cheesy. Kind of mm-hmm. like, a kind of thinking of like twilight. How um, how like the interactions and the the dialogue between the two people are pretty cheesy. That's kind of how it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, though again, I I believe it was a very very well written book. I I wouldn't say it's the best, um, but that that's the only reason why. Um, okay. Would you say? Just out of my own curiosity and nitpickiness, would you say that the cheese between the dialogue only makes it more realistic since it's a movie about people who play video games? (laughs) Um, Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if that's a writing style choice or like if that's his uh, if that's just his natural the way he writes dialogue or if that's Ernest Cline actually trying to get into um, the mindset of people who play video games. Right, right. Because the movie rendition of, uh, oh, I forget, the the main, the the guy who made the Oasis. Mm-hmm. Um, Holiday? Yeah, Holiday. Um, they did a really good job casting him as far as making him, you know, his life has been video games and he's made this incredible virtual reality world that p- 
people are taking, you know, a lot further than just video games. But in the movie, it's made the point several times, and I assume, I assume it's the same in the book to where uh, Holiday always wanted it like to be focused as a game, not a way of life type thing. Right. But um, they did a really good job with his casting, and the actor was fantastic of making uh, Holiday just a very socially awkward-esque type personality. Yeah. As somebody who would have grown up in the 80s doing nothing but playing Atari and getting in on some of the, you know, just the nerdy 80s stuff that gives you the title of nerd for life. No matter how hard you try to ditch it, like, they did a really good job doing that. Yeah, and I think the I think the only like gripe I would have with the book is is that that whole uh, area of the cheesiness between the dialogues, at, but more so at the end, like whenever he's more trying to get the girl. Yeah. But also, the gripe I would have would be that like it's almost like the book is written in two parts, and that is um, that is the ramp up to when. Um, he's getting the the keys. It's keys, right? Yeah. Okay, it's been a while since I've read it. But he's getting the keys, and then um, I don't remember all the exact minute details that leads up to it, but he loses the girl, right? Right. And then, like, they don't talk for a long time. Then you have that, like, kind of fast-forward time um, area. And I feel like at See, that, that point... That wasn't in the movie. There was no fast-forward of time. The entire movie took place, I would say for sure, uh, less than a week. Oh, really? Wow. I mean, it showed it showed a flashback to the moment, like they said five years ago, when Holiday passed away, mm-hmm. and it showed that video. And then it maybe montaged for a little bit and then just fast-forwarded to um, the moment the main character figured out um, how to beat the first challenge, which was a race in the movie. I don't know if it's the same in the book. Right, yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, the first challenge? No, that was not a race. See, the first challenge in the movie is a race. That's weird, because the first challenge in the... In the um, have you, you haven't read the book, have you? No, I haven't read the book. So the first challenge... You would really like this. The first challenge um, actually has to do with D&D. And is it a riddle? Yes. Okay, say so, so they kind of glossed over that. They mentioned that somebody uh, broke the first clue, um, and that's when the race showed up. Hmm. Once they cracked the first clue, and they kind of like glanced over it. Like I was, so I think, I don't know if we've covered this before, but I'm like the most sad D&D nerd you've ever seen, meaning I want to be the biggest D&D nerd ever, but I didn't yeah. start playing until like, what, four years ago maybe? Yeah. And so I don't have the mental capacity and history of Dungeons and Dragons that, you know, other professionals do. But I would have I think that would have been really cool to see is just a few more D and D things. And I know that at one point the main character had a Dungeons and Dragons shirt on with a little D and D ampersand uh that had a dragon's face on it. And they also had a um on one of the vehicles, it had some D and D graffiti on it, but I would have, okay. I was hoping to see a little bit more, but that's just my 
wannabe D&D nerd wanting to see that everywhere. Yeah, whenever the the movie was first being advertised, I was really wondering how they would get the rights to so many different franchises and so many different things because the book is completely full of like all different like hundreds and hundreds of different references to different games from the 80s and like um all different types of stuff everything but like nintendo basically yeah and and i in the movie i feel like would have to pay a lot more obviously to get those rights and so that i from what i've heard there's not as much references in in the movie one because you can't really get fit all that in um to the movie and also because of the money issue but um but on on that note, still, I still think there were a lot of really good references. As far as references and movies go, this is easily the most, you know, outside references to video games and 80s pop culture that has been in a movie period. Besides, you know, maybe movies like The Emoji Movie, that all they are is like an advertisement that's an hour and a half long for apps. Right, you know, right. save the emoji movie and maybe wreck it ralph um this probably has the most references like awesome stuff that i love like iron giant i grew up with watching that mm-hmm. animated mm-hmm. movie that was in there and then they worked in some of the more pop modern pop culture stuff like uh, some of the blizzard characters from overwatch and a few other things the delorean uh, from Back to the Future, all that cool 80s stuff. There's still a lot. And had there been as much, you know, references that you're saying there are in the book, it would have been nothing but that. Which, you know, I probably would have liked, but I'm sure it would not have done well, or as well as it did in the box office. Okay. Are you going to read the the book? I am going to read the book, and actually, I just pulled up a little while ago, um, Ernest Klein is working currently on Ready Player Two. Really? So he's working on that book right now. Okay, that's interesting, because I felt like the book really needed to stay standalone. Um, Not to say that he couldn't make a really good second book. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's so many like series out now, and it's always about making a sequel. Yeah, and um, and maybe he's just giving into that. But my main gripe with the first book, like even bigger than just the dialogue, was that the time between or it, it almost feels like there's two parts of the book where you have everything ramping up to that that time. Um, warp or that kind of like montage if you will of like advancement of time mm-hmm. and like there's months and months and months to go by I know you haven't read it but that's kind of what happens after he loses um, Artemis then there's just that there's a time period like months where he doesn't um, he he doesn't really do anything but he's in he's in the game and like there's no plot development really and then from there on, it feels like a completely different vibe to the book, which may have been what he was going for, but it doesn't feel like he, it doesn't feel like he fleshed it out very much. Like it doesn't feel like um, Ernest Klein 
like put as much thought into that part of the book Mm -hmm. as far as as much detail and and that sort of thing because it feels like everything that happens happens rushed and not as well um not as well articulated it's it's it feels like a completely different author is writing it okay um that's my that's my own take on it I still think it's really good, but it feels like everything is rushed. Okay. And that may be because he was on a time crunch to get the book out. And I feel like if he's writing a second book, if that is the case, if he was on a time crunch, if he's writing a second book, that's going to be even like bigger. Yeah, I can, I can see that being a problem. Um, so the question is, based off your... Um, so well, let me just clarify one thing. I think that... Um, he was he was reg- writing that movie. I can't speak. Um, Ernest Klein was writing the book, uh, the sequel, while they were filming. And to my knowledge, he was actually on set uh, for a lot of the filming, um, or at least the writing and directing or whatever that was that they were doing. I don't know how you know a movie that's fifty percent CGI exactly works, but I know that he was used as a resource. Um, to help guide the path of the movie. And so I believe he was actually working on the book while they were filming. And because of that, they worked in at the very, very end, maybe three lines of dialogue that could possibly spur on a second uh, movie. And maybe that's something that the movie does better is the book is set up the sequel. Because maybe you're right, maybe the original book wasn't intended to have a sequel, but once he saw that it got popular enough to make a movie, and, you know, money is money, why not write another book, make another movie, and get a few more million dollars for it? Um, so I bet that he kind of... I bet the movie leads up to the second movie better than the book will lead up to the second book. Okay. What what lines of dialogue does he use? Do you remember? Um, yeah, so he's talking to Holiday after he won. And he asks Holiday if he is an avatar. And Holiday says no. And the, the supposed avatar for Holiday says... Uh, he asks again, is Holiday really dead? And he looks and he says yes. And then he says, then what are you? And he just smiles and walks away pretty much after that. Mm. And that's right after he gave the Oasis to the main character and they split it between the high five and all that good stuff. Right, right. But um, so it's almost like he downloaded his subconscious into his avatar. That would be cool. And I think that's what it might be leading up towards. The IOI, the main villain company of Ready Player One, might be trying to like delve and figure out how to use the Oasis for immortality, and that'll be the next big battle. Rather than just making money, it'll be immortality from the Oasis. Okay. Quick question. Yes. What did the High Five change from the Oasis in the book? Once, oh, once they won the contest and 
won the Oasis as the inheritance, what did they do to change it? I don't rem- I don't remember if they did anything. Uh, like I said, it's been it's been probably eight months since I've read the book. Okay. Um, I don't remember if they did anything. They might have taken away the um, the the bad guy antagonist of the movie, as far as like that whole like company. Yeah, they might have taken that out of the out of the Oasis, but I don't remember if they even did that. Okay. Because the big deal in the book was, and this is kind of, this is a pretty big spoiler for you if that's it's okay. not in the movie. But the big deal in the book was that Holiday gave him the ability to turn off the oasis. Yes, that happened. Forever. That happened. Or, or that it. ability was mentioned. Right. And he gave them he gave them like basically the powers that uh, himself and his partner had in the in the game. Okay. And um and then he basically just said, There you go. And yeah, that was pretty much it. I, I think there might have been some similar dialogue with with him and Holiday. Mm-hmm. As far as um, asking if he's an avatar, I don't remember it being that significant. Um, though I may have just glossed over it. Okay. But um, as far as the Oasis, I don't remember them specifically doing anything with it. See, it, they're pretty explicit about what they do. So they have the work camps that they, you know, IOI buys up people's debt and then forces them basically into slavery to work off their debt to IOI. Mm-hmm. by uh, mining for resources in-game. And that's like, you know, how Artemis's dad died is he got in debt. They bought his debt, basically buying him, forcing him to work it off, and then he got too sick to where he couldn't work it off, and then he died. Um, so that's like why they're a part of this rebellion against IOI. But okay. um, the first thing they do is shut down IOI's access to the Oasis for all of their work camps so they don't completely eradicate the entire company IOI, just the work camps. Um, or the, I don't remember what the exact term is, like the, la- the labor centers or something. They shut those off, so they closed them all down, and IOI basically can't have any more in-game slaves working for them. And... They actually closed the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Hmm. So that, like, a big deal was Holiday wanted the Oasis to be a game, and it became not a game. It became life for everybody else. And so um, throughout the whole movie, and probably throughout the book, they realized, like, because the whole thing is based on Holiday's mind. You're having to get into the mind of Holiday to figure out the clues and stuff like that. Okay. And I don't know if this was in the book, but like, did Holiday actually archive all of his memories and all of the stuff that he watched and everything like that in this one like big library of Holiday, basically? I don't think so. So, yeah, so he actually um, archived all like everything he could, like all the security cameras and stuff like that in like, you know, the 2030s. And uploaded them to the Oasis so people could go watch most of Holiday's life. Mm. And it was from doing that that you would figure out the secret to cracking the clues. 
Okay. No. See, the uh, was that how that they was that how they um is that what they tapped into to actually try to figure out the clues? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well, the bigger emphasis on this on the book was that um, all they knew that he all they knew was that he was huge into eighties um, video game culture. Mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so literally they would just spend every moment of every day playing all the video games from then, all the watching all the movies and everything like that. And so that there wasn't like one like resource that they could get that was, okay, this was holidays life. It was more of, okay, let me look at the eighties life, you know? Yeah, no, they knew everything about Holiday. Like, at one point, they mentioned that The Shining is Holiday's 11th favorite horror film. Like, that's how much of a science they got down on how much Holiday liked stuff based off his own memories and his own surveillance that he had recorded and uploaded to the Oasis. Okay, I remember them, like, going in that in-depth with, like, they're so invested in this that they would know that about holiday, mm-hmm. but they ne- it never really goes into how they would know that about holiday. Hmm. They always kind of leave that as a, well, we've researched this so much that that's how we know. Okay. Um, but, um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, you mentioned the Tuesdays and Thursdays. I believe that that was in the game. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. In the, in the book. Um, that they closed down the Oasis, which which leads me to another interesting thing is what are they going to do now that they actually have to get out of the Oasis and focus on their own economy and their own political system and that kind of thing? Because it's like there's, gonna, there's not going to be any Oasis if that goes away, you know? Yeah, and that's really something really cool because in the very first part of the movie, they talk about the corn syrup droughts and all of the problems that have gone wrong. And the narration actually mentions uh, we live in a time where people stopped trying to fix the problems and started trying to just outlive them. And so I think that this, the second book and the second movie might have a little more of a political theme of, all right, well, let's try to start fixing things again instead of trying to you know, outlive the problems and just pass them on and pass them on until it's awful for the next generation. That might be a little bit of what happens. And I think, you know, that's really what the whole part of the movie was, like, what a big part of the movie was trying to get at is the Oasis is just a game. Don't treat it like your life. And that's why they decided to close it down two days out of the week. Right. That's interesting. But... All in all, like I would, I would say it's easy top two movies, and I have it at the house, so you need to come over and watch it. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I would definitely love to watch it, um, as well as um, Infinity War. Yeah. So at some point, we're gonna have to have you over because you know I want to get Infinity War here pretty soon. Yeah. I hate, yeah. I hate, I hate only digital music uh, movies. Like, Hannah has this huge digital library, and I love it because she buys the DVD, Blu-ray, and digital combo pack at Walmart and then just uploads, and she's so consistent at uploading the digital thing. But I accidentally, like, 
I just I I couldn't wait. I bought Ready Player One, and it's on my Xbox, and now I don't have a physical copy of it. And I paid like thirty bucks to get the movie, and you know, four K whatever. But now it's digitally downloaded, and I can't share it with anybody unless they come over to watch it. Right, that makes sense. I I thought that same thing like with Xbox games because the big deal with the Xbox One was that it was originally while they were making it, and even like the months to the months leading up to um, coming out with the Xbox One, mm-hmm. it was going to be only digital games. Like you could not use disc yeah and there was such a big outcry because before then games were only on disc like this was like a new thing was digital stuff and they were making it completely digital and so there's a big outcry like no we want we want our disc like we want our hard copies and so they they compromised with um getting the disc but then it was pretty much getting a getting a disc was mute or moot sorry because you would still have to download the game even though you already had the disc. Yeah, you still um, had to download, like, a, a, a ton of the game, so... Yeah, and it didn't make sense, and then, like, you couldn't actually play it unless you had the disc in there, like, normal. Yeah. And so it was really weird, but, um... See, that's what I really like about the Switch, is because you can... It's a cartridge-based thing, and you can, like, trade games with people, and it's... yeah. All, I don't know if it's actually saved on the cartridge or on the device. I think it's saved on the device, so you can just be. you can just actually take out the cartridge and let somebody play it, and they can have their own saves of that game on their device. And if they decide they really like it, they can go out and buy their own and still have all their saves because it's saved on the device and not the cartridge. Right, and Nintendo has always been really into making sure everyone can play and share with each other. Whereas like Xbox and PlayStation have not been that way at all. They're they're exactly the opposite. They just want people to buy their products. Yeah. And so when they first came out the Xbox One, I was really dreading the fact that they were going digital because I was thinking like that's like I want to have my collection of games. You know, I want to have that shelf full of games. Right. And that kind of thing. But now like I have maybe a total of six hard copy games. Yeah. And probably 60 or so digital download, digitally downloaded games. It's so much more convenient to have it digitally downloaded, though. Like, it I is. love the convenience of it, but, and let's be real, I don't lease out games as much as I thought I would just because I don't have a whole lot of friends who actually have an Xbox. Like, a lot of them have other consoles or just choose not to play in general. So I don't have to worry about, oh, man, I'm sorry you wanted to borrow this, and I don't have it for you to borrow. But um, I really love the convenience of it. Because even now, with my Switch, I'll still, more often than not, buy the digital copy of it and save it onto the SD card in the Switch. That way, I don't have to worry about rummaging through uh, my cases to find the right game. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it's uh, it's so convenient because it's like, you know, you can be playing Fortnite and then realize how much it sucks and then you can just be like, well, I'm going to go with something else and you just immediately go straight to PUBG. You know? And then it's, you realize how bad PUBG is compared to Fortnite so you can just go right back to Fortnite. Sure, sure. If you're delusional. Um, 
Yeah, but no, it is extremely convenient because you can just switch between different things so quickly and you don't have to worry about you know, taking a disc out and putting a different one in. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I have a quick question. I have a quick answer. Um, last week, No Man's Sky came out for Xbox. Yes. Is that a game you're interested in? Um, it can be a game I'm interested in. Okay. I am interested in it. I'm going to talk to my cousin, Grant, who is just a pro at video games. Literally, he works in the video game industry. So um, I'm going to talk to him because he has it on the PC. And it, you know, if, if he has it and is going to get it for the Xbox also, that's like an instant I'm going to get in and get it also so I can play with him. Because in, when they released it for the console, they released it for multiplayer instead of just solos. And so now you can jump in with a group of friends, like four people, and go out and explore the billions of planets together. Okay, so you don't have to actually find each other in the uh, game and stuff, like they were, were originally going to do it? I do not know that for sure. I highly doubt it. I think you can just jump in with somebody. Hmm. If you know if who remember, it is you're looking for, because I, I know that like random people can jump on with you if you don't have your settings set up right. Well, I remember the original marketing, if I remember correctly, was that that you, you would be playing and everyone else would be basically in the same universe slash server. Mm-hmm. And so while it's so big that you probably wouldn't run into somebody, if you really wanted to, like, hang out with your friends, then you would just go to the same, like, coordinates, and um, you could find them. But then That's when it came cool. out, when it came out, it was, like, that was not the case at all. Like, you couldn't find anybody. Yeah, it was just single player only. You can't, right. you can't play with other people no matter what. And so now they fixed that. And so they're calling it No Man's Sky Next. Uh, with this big update, they're basically retitling it giving and just calling it No Man's Sky Next. And okay. I'm really excited for it. I've looked up a few things online. I still don't know if I'm willing to drop, you know, 50, 60 bucks on it. But, you know, if other people are going to play it and it's not just me, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. I mean, if you decide to get it, then I'll, I'll get it and jump on there with you a few times and see how it is. All right. Well, until next time. That's been way too long. It's been a long time. All right. Well, can we just talk about it? I feel like there's a big elephant in the yeah. uh, recording right now of why it's been a year since we've podcast. Has it been a whole year? It's been a whole year, man. Man. Yeah, so um, the short answer is me, Brandon, who owns the equipment, is lazy and didn't want to do it for a while. And then I got engaged, and then I got married, and the busyness that comes with, you know, getting engaged and getting married 80 days later was insane. But now I'm finding a lull. And finding the desire to start doing this again. Yeah. And I finally figured out how to get, you know, Skype recording. That way, um, even if Chad is, you know, on duty working, we can have a podcast episode being recorded because we can just Skype and still have 
decent audio. Yeah. And the honest answer is just that we're, we're both two hunks that are adults and we have our own lives and it's hard to find time sometimes to sit down and record. And once, you know, once you get a span of time without recording, then it gets easier to forget about it and put it off. And so that's kind of basically what's happened. Yeah. And there's been a lot of development over the last year, but, um, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, I am too. And hopefully this is going to be one of three podcasts I start working on in the near future, but I'm going to learn from my mistakes and, you know, record about 10 episodes of each of those podcasts before I start putting them up. That way, if I go, you know, up to six months without recording, I still have six months worth of, or six months worth of every other week podcasts worth of material. So hopefully that is something that will be happening and that may be something Chad and I implement or we might just make you guys wait another year before we post again. We haven't decided. Um, I hope not, but yeah, we haven't decided. Yeah, that's not the goal. We we definitely want to keep doing this and we want to be better and do it more often. Absolutely. And maybe eventually get some like sponsors and make some money out of this thing. Dude, if I could for all it's got, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I could use an extra 20 bucks. Right. Yeah. From the two people that listen. Yeah. So, you know, us, if you want to send money to me, my bank account routing number. No, (laughs) I'm not going to give that out. Sorry. Well, all right, man. Well, let's do it in the true fashion. Uh, I'm Brandon. And I'm Chad. We're We're just just two two hunks and and a a microphone. microphone.